said, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. There was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel Whitehodge. Hey, hey, profane faithers out there in profane faith land. How y'all doing? This is your boy, Dan Whitehodge, coming at you another week, another time. Here we are in the place. Well, what y'all think about that episode last week, huh? Yeah, buddy, and yeah, buddy, everywhere. Um, yeah, the youth. Oh my gosh. Well, that's just a prelude to a little, a little taster, if you will, an appetizer, uh, if you will. Um, in regards to me doing the uh, second part to that, which is the actual interview. So, if you remember, uh, between the the different video clips, uh, I had some interviews there with folks. So, uh, the episode I want to run is is, is actually uh, several interviews. Uh, from from uh, my age demographic, 18 to 28, and uh, just, you know, talking with them about faith and talking with them about uh, what they think about in regards to God in this age and whatnot. So stay tuned for that. I'm putting that together now, and uh, that will be coming out, and that one, that one will be the season ender, I believe. Um, I'm... I know I've said this already before, but, you know, and stuff keeps coming up, um, you know, so this week we have a guest next week. We'll have a guest. And I believe the following week will probably wrap up. All right. So just a heads up, just a heads up. Uh, and again, not the, you know, not and we're not ending profane faith. It's just, yeah, you know, well, you know, those of you, you know, you know the deal. Uh, it's mainly uh, just take a break. And uh, also, I'm starting another podcast uh, called Progressively Black. I've been talking a little bit about it. Uh, it is on whitehodgepodcast.com, so you can take a look at it. It's myself uh, and Tamisha Tyler, who I've had on the show here before. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can go ahead and uh, start gearing up uh, for that, because that's going to be coming up. And that'll be, of course, on wherever you can find your podcast app. And we're in the interviewing stage now, and I'm really excited about this particular podcast, because this one's especially looking at all things black and all things progressive left-leaning. Um uh, years back, uh, Mark Anthony Neal started a video series. Uh, well, actually, it was a blog called Left of Black, and uh, really exploring, you know, what what does it mean, to, you know, to be black and be left, and you know, in the academy, and what does what do those spaces look like? So I wanted to take that a step further and just kind of look at what is the progressive side, and you know, I'm using that language, and that's still kind of a a leftist language, but basically those who don't lean to a conservative worldview or a traditional I should say worldview on either God or life or society or politics you know how do they define life and how do they come to understand you know who who God is and who um, who and where they find themselves in this era um, that's really one of the main questions we're, we're exploring and then uh, Tamisha is great because she just she sees things in a completely different space and in, in arena. So I am th- very thankful for that and thankful to be working with just such an amazing mind like uh, her. And so, yeah, that's coming. It's coming up here. We're going to be recording, like I said, several more uh, issues and then we'll release probably about six 
uh, episodes and have y'all take a look. And they'll be much shorter. We're, our goal is to have those be in between 20 and 30 minutes uh, each. So, you know, profane faith, we can go on, man. You know, you know them, them, them religious podcasts, them, them, them mofos, they can go on, man. Um, but uh, yeah, so the youngins, the youth, uh, I think that's an interesting topic. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I highly recommend going back to uh, last week's episode and uh, you can check that out. The kids are all right. Um, that's again, that's part one and part two will be actually their voices and just what they, what, how they think and how they engage and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, take a look at that, check that out and uh, more to, more to come and more to come with young people as well, because it is a demographic. And now that I'm, you know, as, as an academic tenured and full, um, I'm really looking forward to spending more time doing stuff uh, that really interests me uh, as opposed to doing stuff just to build up a career or build up, you know, a Vita, you know, to kind of get some of the cookies ahead of time, which we all have to do. I'm not knocking that. Please don't hear that. I think we all have to do these things uh, in, in really whatever line of work that we do. Um, I, I, I don't see a way around that. Um, and if you have a different perspective, please hit me up. Um, in terms of, you know, how do you chart and put metrics on advancement? What does advancement look like um, in, in in this era? How do we do that equitably and de still decentralize and uh, uh, uncolonize ourselves from white supremacy, from whiteness, um, from just the Western mantra in general, to, from capitalism, neo-capitalism? Um, I don't know what that looks like. I, I think there are some folks trying that out right now. Um, you know, do we need a hierarchy? Do we need a linear hierarchy, right? Where there's a, a, a chief at the top and then you have, you know, everybody else that's underneath. I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I think um, I think for the time being, though, I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, unavoidable. Um, and, and, or I, I don't think you can get around that. So I don't know. I, what, what do y'all think about that? I mean, I think that and that I also asked the same thing. I've been talking to. Um, well, I've been talking to a few people in regards to what does a quote unquote church in the wild look like? That was the original title for my latest book, Homeland Insecurity. And, um, you know, this idea, you know, really riffing off the Kanye and Jay-Z song a few years back, uh, No Church in the Wild. Like, what does a church in the wild then look like? Um, and I'm very hesitant to paint a picture of what that looks like simply because I don't think none of us really know what that is. I think when we see it, or glimpses of it or shimmers of it, I think we'll be able to say, yes, that's it. But at the current moment, the current era that we're at, the current space that we're at, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see how, I, I, I don't see a space that's really doing it, quote unquote, in the wild. I think there are some people who are trying some interesting things and, you know, chime in y'all, you know, again, go to whitehodgepodcast.com or whitehodge.com, drop me a line. Uh, what are some of y'all doing out there that's unique? Now, I know there's folks who are doing unique things. Okay, so that's not the same. I think that, and that may be part of it. I mean, because part of it is really decolonizing our, our own worldviews and mindsets of church far enough to actually be able to be comfortable with something that doesn't look like quote unquote church in the normal way, um, but also is doing what that what that space is intended to do. Okay. Um, in other words, you know, uh, be a spiritual community, be a place where we can come and gather, 
be an environment that is connected to the community and social activism and equity. Um, you know, because it's almost like you get the folks. Uh, and I was talking with my good friend Angie Hong about this, who has also been on the show. Um, we were shooting ourselves uh, these these video. I, this, I got this app called Marco Polo where you can shoot video text to people. I love it. I my my good friend Mark uh, put me on to it, and um, I was I, I've been blown away. So, anyways, let me not um, let me not get uh, sidetracked on that. But I was talking with Angie about church and what that looks like, and. <sighs> So the church in the wild came up and, you know, the question then becomes, you know, what, what is a church in the wild? What is a church that isn't that? And so again, I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling with what that looks like, what that, what that environment really is. Um, you know, is it, you know, cause all we have is what we have right now, right? We have traditional versions and there's different versions of it, right? You got the black church where some people just, they love the music and the preaching or you got the white church, you know, they're going to go, they're going to stay on time. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be done in an hour. Um, You've got aspects, and I'm generalizing, of course. I get that, I know. Uh, but I'm just saying you got different denominations, you got different forms of practice and worship. So, you know, you you can't, yeah. I, and I don't know, I mean, is is it is it a place, did, you know, did, did are we looking at it the wrong way? Are we looking at church still through the old lens? One of the reasons why, I struggle with the church so much and just going to church in general. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this. I just recently tweeted this out about um, group publishing. So, so let me give you some background. So it's, it's a, well, the title of this article, and I can post all this in the, in the show notes as well. It's called Africa themed vacation Bible school. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a vacation Bible school curriculum. Group publishing is a, publishing company, Christian publishing company that puts out resources and puts out curriculum, uh, particularly for youth and adolescent groups and whatnot, particularly, particularly for youth ministry groups. Now I've argued for a long time. I even said this last week on the, um, on the podcast, I'm looking at young people that youth ministry, the title of that, the, the field of that, uh, has been habitually racist. Um, and, uh, particularly mono-ethnic in, in culture. Um, while you may have some people that are, you know, that they may uh, be African-American or Asian, uh, the, the, the cultural values, the policies continue to remain uh, white. And in this one, uh, it is, I'm going to read some of the article here. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it starts out by saying a Christian company that claims it is trusted by thousands of church, quote unquote, has been criticized for its 2019 vacation Bible school lessons that require elementary age students to pretend they are slaves and mimic an African dialect with clicks. Yeah, you heard that right. I, I didn't stutter. The vacation Bible school curriculum also refers to Africa as a country. Um, there was a pastor uh, out of a Presbyterian church that wrote and was publishing this and was just saying, I don't think that this is basically she called the attention to this and was just like, I don't think this is appropriate at all. Um, she says, I know after this, I'm going to ha I have to be, uh, I'm going to be having my church take a hard and critical look at ordering from this company in the future. Um, also for the record, I edited the heck out of it from my church. These are lessons we cannot teach our children End quote. Um, yeah, this is, this is disturbing, right? I mean, this, this, and this is the type of shit that goes on continually. 
That's why I'm not even interested in trying to even have a conversation with somebody, a group. And in the Trump era, why would any of them, you know, apologize? In fact, I'll read you their their response here because they did respond uh, to this uh, a few years back. Uh, some of you may remember Dr. Sunshine Ra uh, publicly put out, you know, this uh, was the rickshaw Bible study curriculum, and it was it was a, a complete racist. Uh, slam against Asian Americans and particularly Chinese Americans and you know of course the publisher you know it's, it's what they usually do right they turn their hands up it's like I don't know I don't know and that's what they used to do but now in the Trump era they don't have to do that they don't have to because they are emboldened to to do you know to put this shit out this is what stuff people are, are you know have continually thought of so you know, as we get deeper into this, uh, there's a picture of group publishing their, you know, their staff, uh, predominantly white, you know, and you and you wonder why. Right. Uh, and on this uh, person named Shannon Dingle, uh, she tweets, she says, oh, group publishing, when you put out a curriculum, but your team looks like this. It's not shocking that racial and ethnic sensitivity might be lacking. And again, these are the type of things that just keep coming up over and over and over and over again. And you ask yourself, why are people leaving the church, right? Somebody tweeted the other day um, uh, that, you know, you wonder why people are leaving the church. It's like you just kick everybody out and right. And then you wonder why are people leaving? Um, one of the uh, activities that has on here, it says, uh, uh, when it, when it, this is so. This is the curriculum. So get keep in mind this is all pedagogy. All right. So this is a a a a tool for the leaders to come through and to be able to um you know to 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 give the lesson. Essentially it says uh, one of the lines says I've told you we're going to experience the Bible story. So hop up. You're going to be Israelite slaves, and I'll pretend to be a mean Egyptian guard. Ready? Here we go. Get to work, you slaves. Pharaoh needs more bricks. Get over to one of those sound uh, sand colored tarps and get busy mixing that mud. Direct each crew to a plastic tablecloth and have crews uncover the bowls, baskets, and cups. So this is the this is kind of the verbiage inside the, the lesson plan, right? Get busy and mix that mud. What's the matter? Afraid of getting your hands dirty? Too bad, you're all slaves, you know. You have to do what I say. So mix that mud faster. Pharaoh needs a lot of bricks and we don't have all day. Walk around the room, urging kids to mix the mud faster. So, yeah. Yeah, think about that for a second, you know? So imagine a white youth leader, because more than likely this is gonna be a white youth leader, uh, working with a black kid. And that black kid will probably be of a minority in that room. Yeah, think about that for a second. Right. Um, the rural curriculum instructs adult leaders to draw children's attention to the ancient Israelites enslavement in Egypt. The Israelites understood injustice as they struggled to endure backbreaking labor and suppression at the hands of the Egyptians. The VBS leader manual states uh, that in part. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, again, this is this is all the bullshit, right? This is the bullshit. And so this is part of why I struggle. And, and, and like churches that can't see this, the fact that this is like outselling, the fact that this even made the light of day, that nobody in there, and even if there was somebody, that somebody didn't. So if there was somebody, there might have been somebody been like, I don't know about this. Um, but, it, you know, they might have been a still small voice. So I just can't condemn everybody. But who gave this the green light? I want to know that. I, like Who gave this and was just like, yeah, this would be good. This would be fine. Yeah, ain't nothing wrong with this. 
Here's another one. Communicate with clicking. You've had fun learning about animals you might see in Africa and even discovering some of the cool people who live in Africa, too. Okay, just keep in mind, this is all in the curriculum. People in different countries in Africa speak a lot of different languages. But one amazing thing you might hear if you visited a certain area in Africa would be people talking with clicks in their language. Huh? What kind of bullshit is that, right? Lead kids in clicking their tongues for a few seconds. Then show the click language video. Man, I want to see that video. <laughs> I want to see that video. Oh, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go online and look for that. And uh, y'all should, too. <laughs> if you find it, tweet me and let me know. Make your name include a click or two and introduce, quote unquote, yourself to the kids using your new name. Imagine your name included a click or two. Introduce yourself to your crew with your new click language name. Play music while crews talk. Then turn off the music and allow a few kids to share their new names. <laughs> oh, dear gosh, gosh, gosh darn. I mean, this is some fucked up shit, man. And again, this is part of why I struggle going to church not and not this specifically but if you've been listening to this at this podcast long enough you already know there was a multitude of things um and i struggle taking my kids to this type of stuff um and i'm not saying my church right now immediately is practicing this completely but there's still an element of that right when we lead a bible study who, who, who's the authority that we're leaning into is it another white cis male from an evangelical conservative perspective of a book that he wrote right that he's the expert telling us what to think is that who we're listening to? Is that who we're going to be reading and, and, and learning from? Or are we genuinely dry, really trying to decolonize ourselves? Oh, man. I tell you, y'all, this is this is the type of stuff, man. That, that It just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just is... It just fucking drives me nuts. Um, And... Well, here. So, it says... You know, in the article, it says here, you know, editors know that group publishing posted a... A response. I won't read it. Again, I'll post these links so you can read everything. You can read everything, you know, show notes, whitehodgepodcast.com. Um, or you can just go to my Twitter. You know, if you're just like, ah, I want to go all the way. <laughs> just go to my Twitter. I've been tweeting about this stuff. So you can take a look there. Um, or at Profane Faith uh, in, uh, on, on Twitter or at Dan White Hodge on Twitter as well. Um, so, you know, it starts out with, hey, VBS friends. Some of you may have come across some uh, posts that may confuse or concern you. Group wants you to hear directly. And they go into the experience and they point to the, uh, the day one lesson and they go into it and everything. The script never guides the leader to yell at kids. Um, okay. It's been clearly stated that they're pretending to be someone else. I mean, come on, you dumbasses, right? Golly, they're playing a Bible times role. The leader also later commiserates with the Israelites, those poor Israelites. Not only were they slaves, but Pharaoh got mad at Moses. Kids walk away with an appreciation for the injustice of the Israelites, the, the injustice of the, the, for the injustice that the Israelites experienced and how God loved and provided for them in the midst of overwhelming adversity. Now, what kind of bullshit is that? Yo, man. Oh my gosh. Uh, and it goes down day five. We did this, you know, at the end it says our editorial team considers all factors and filters to ensure the kids have a biblical and age appropriate experience. Our development and field test team included teachers with a background in anti-bias, ethnic diversity, and leaders with a child psychology background. I'm, I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> I'm just going to call bullshit right there. Straight up. Uh, uh, uh. 
If you have any questions or concerns, please email us at, uh, email us at vbsteam or vbsteam at group.com. vbsteam at group.com. So yeah, you want to holler at them. I ain't. Because why? You know what I'm saying? Why? There's no point to. Um, it, and this is no apology. I mean, this is just a, 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 a shitty ass white response to, um, you know, to the shit, to the mess. So really, y'all, I don't, these are, these are, again, this is just an example, one example of the atrocities that continually exist uh, in Christian education. And we wonder why a lot of ethnic minorities are, are, are leaving Christianity. I mean, I get it. I totally get it, which is one of the reasons why, again, I, you know, I'm, I don't claim evangelicals. My, and while most of my, my theology lies when I'm in under a Christian envelope, it's one of the reasons why, again, I, I look at mysticism. I look at astronomy and study astrophysics and look at what the elders talked about uh, from my continent uh, in Africa, not the country, Africa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Lord, have mercy on our souls, uh, and particularly these assholes, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. And these are some questions again that I'm that I'm again that I'm wrestling with. I don't I don't have the answer. <laughs> I really don't. Um, but you know it's something that I'm that I'm messing with and something that I'm thinking about. So we will continue this conversation uh, because I think it's worth having. Um, I'm not ready to completely give up on church, although the traditional you know person at the front preaching, passive learning, all that stuff. I think I know I'm ready to just to give up on that. Um, and because I think that's that's had its realm. And I think we are at a crucial point uh, in just human history. But I also think we're at a crucial point as it relates to Christianity, um, especially here in the United States. And you know, I think the next few years will determine really where where we end up at and where we go. You know, will we become a completely secular society? Will we finally push all right? You know, the crazies out of office and get to a place where we're just, you know, we just don't want anything to do with religion and we're just completely secular and Gnostic. Um, or will we find the balance? I don't know. I really don't know. You know, because there's always that 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 interesting thing about religion that just draws the crazy out of people. It draws the the extremists on all ends. You know, you have to believe this way. And if you don't believe this way, well, we're just going to take you out and, you know, kill you. So I, you know, <laughs> I'd like to avoid that. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, this week, y'all, I've got an amazing guest. Let's 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 hop right to this. Um, this kind of ties into what I was already talking about, church and Christianity. Um, my good friend, Dr. Scott Okamoto, um, he is uh, we both taught at a, a, a Christian institution, Azusa Pacific University, APU. Uh, some of you might have went there. Some of you might have heard of it. I don't know. And uh, he's in a different space now. He is a stay at home dad, uh, which is great. Uh, he is a musician. Uh, he uh, has a whole blog on his rscottokamoto.com, uh, which I'll put in the show notes as well. Um, he is a family man. He's a father. Uh, he is somebody who engages with critical thought. I mean, somebody who obviously is is educated, um, but he is no longer a Christian. And he's written about that. He's talked about that. And we're going to have this conversation about, you know, what that looks like right now for him, particularly being uh, an ethnic minority, uh, being someone who comes from a religious family and in and around that environment, having taught in that. Um, and then, you know, as an educator, what does that, you know, what does that look like now and how you raise your kids now? I mean, all those things, uh, come up and it's interesting just to, you know, to read his, his piece on, 
you know, how he, you know, he, the, the title of it is I don't miss God, period, really, exclamation mark. Um, and he's talking about his journey, you know, about how he's no longer a Christian and why he's that and why he's not that. And these are and honestly, these are some of the same questions I'm asking about God. Again, as we decolonize our mind, as we decolonize our theologies, I think these are going to come up. And I think these are good spaces to be. I don't think it's a scary place. I think it's a good place of inquiry and it requires us to face it head on. I really do believe that. So without any further ado, check this conversation out. Uh, tell me what you think. Again, show notes at whitehodgepodcast.com. Just click, uh, go on there, click on Profane Faith, and the latest episode will pop up. And you can click on the show notes there, or you can, you know, scroll through it, do a search, and look for previous episodes. So check this out. Scott's got some great stuff to say, and we're going to break it down. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right, brother. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on Profane Faith. I appreciate it. Uh, good to have you on. Hey, it's great to be here. Man, well, for the, the background audience, I know you and I were at uh, the wonderful and esteemed Azusa Pacific University for uh, for a while. Uh, <laughs> I'd be curious, and particularly for the listeners, man, what has what has gotten you from point A to now, from birth to now? That's the that's the one main question. It always evokes some great conversation, but I'd be curious. And then I got other questions on the the, the Trumpster presidency and you know the the the, the wiles of uh, Christianity and evangelicalism. But let's start first with birth to now. What's what's been what's been happening? Well, um, birth was uh, at Fort Dix, New Jersey. My dad was a captain in the army. All right, and. Uh, yeah, grew up in the L.A. area, um, and then I met you at that school. Um, man, that was a long time ago, huh? Yeah, it was, man. It seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, I, I tell the story often, actually, of meeting you. Uh, you came and spoke to the Asian club, and uh, con conservative Asian kids, uh, most of them had never, I don't think, ever met a black person before. <laughs> oh, and man. You, you gave your testimony about... <laughs> Um, which I'm sure your listeners know a lot about. Um, and you scared the crap out of the, these poor little kids. It was so fun. I, I wish I had a camera <laughs> on their faces. Um, yeah, they, oh. they weren't sure what to make make of that. Um, I was like, uh, it's like, I got to be friends with this guy. This is awesome. <laughs> that's so, that's a, me. It, I, I was the one scaring them. So I got to take a week off. There you go. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I know. I, I tend to, I tend to have that, that effect on, on certain crowds and whatnot. So that's why I don't get invited back to certain areas, <laughs> man. Um, and I forget, man, what department were you in over there? English. Okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was teaching writing, creative writing, literature, um, taught some in, teaching future teacher classes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was there for 15 years, man. Wow. What uh, what was the impetus to leave or to just move on or what have you? Yeah, they were going to fire my ass. Um, oh! I got called in. Oh, boy. Uh, so they start, the, the students started a uh, LGBT straight alliance kind of club. Okay. Um, it was totally underground. And uh, secret, we, we read from a charter at the beginning of each meeting, and they asked me to be a part of it. All right. It would be secret, knowing knowing what was at stake, knowing that all of us could get kicked out for even, you know, meeting like that. So 
The second generation of those kids decided to come out to the school. Okay. To try and be a legitimate uh, club, you know, school-sanctioned club. Ah, okay. Which I, I advised them against. Um, <laughs> I knew what was going to happen, and it did. But uh, so the administration, the board of trustees, suddenly had me on their radar. Um, his word got out. So after, and we lasted a while before they hauled me in just to, to, to account for my involvement with the group. Um, and the, the dean was going to fire me. And then I teach argumentation or taught argumentation. Uh-huh. <laughs> so argued my way back into a job. Um, and then thought about it overnight and decided the next morning to quit. So like, now nah, I'm done. I, I, I had already sort of lost all semblance of faith. Mm-hmm. But for a while at that point. So, yeah, I realized I, I'm the odd one. I'm not, I'm the one that doesn't fit mm-hmm. APU. So, so I left. So I quit. Yeah. Uh, so I became a dad, uh, sort of stay at home dad. I, I wrote a book about this APU experience, which Whoa. I'm now trying to, to hawk to the world. Um, so yeah, it's part tell-all, part memoir about like how I lost faith completely about five years in, maybe six years in to APU and Ooh. what that was like. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was like a point where I lost it. But it was just like a slow, slow descent into just not, not believing anymore. Wow. Uh, well, okay. So, well, first of all, what's the title of your book? I want to make sure I put that in the, the, the show notes as well, because I, I need to read it. Uh, yeah, well, it's not out yet. Okay. The working title was The Wrong Christian, um, Christian in quotes. Okay. Um, and I just, the whole book is just about me being wrong. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, the wrong, I'm not the right person for this. I don't have the right politics and I'm not of the right race. Um, don't have the right quote unquote theology. Yeah. Um, both the whole, every chapter is about being wrong in some way. Man, oh, okay. So, and well, I'm curious, and particularly, I mean, I've read some of the the essays you sent and some of the blog posts. I'd be very curious what has you know what brought you. I mean, I read some of I, I read your your one uh, blog post on you know you know transitioning from uh, Christianity into where how how would you define yourself right now? I don't want to implement any oh, yeah. terms and whatnot on you. Um, I don't. Yeah, I guess agnostic is just the overall catch catch all. All right, word because. I'm willing to say, I don't know. You know, I just, I don't know. Yeah. So I guess that makes me agnostic. Okay. I'm with that. I'm with that. Along that spectrum. What, and so what, what brought you to that? I'd be curious to know just kind of the journey towards that. I, I like I said, it's, uh, it was an interesting read. And again, for the listeners, I'll post these in the show notes, but I'd be curious in your own words, what, uh, what got you to that and where like, particularly where you're at, you know, now. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. When I was a kid, maybe like an early teen, I had questions. And I later learned this was like what they call theodicy, um, the whole problem of suffering, the problem of, of pain. Um, and I asked questions and my pastors and, and um, you know, leaders of the schools would say like, well, the Bible, the Bible has everything we need for Christian living. And then I'd ask these questions and then they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a good question. We'll have to ask God when we, when we get to heaven. Yeah. Why, why do good people suffer? Why, why do, you know, all these things Does God, if God is 
um, all powerful? Did he did he make that suffering happen, or did he allow it to happen, or um, either or? So when you're a kid and they tell you, oh yeah, ask, we'll ask God when we get to heaven. That's cool. Yeah. You, so you you move on. Your your elder tells you that. As I got to college, more and more questions kept creeping up, and and I was still uh, um, a good Christian. I was leading worship for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I was leading Bible studies all the way up into my late twenties, um, just hanging on, just sort of pushing those questions aside. Okay. Um, the fun, the great irony is going to teach at APU really just sort of pushed me over the edge. It was like, okay, well here my faith is waning, but here at least I'll be in a, in a place that values higher learning and logic and, um, you know, intellectual, the intellectual arm of the evangelical world. And I found that it was, it was, uh, it was just as bad. And um, I just less and less wanted to be, wanted to have anything to do with evangelical culture. Um, so I figured, okay, great. I'll just be Episcopalian. <laughs> hmm. My friends describe Episcopalianism as sort of the last exit before uh, agnosticism. <laughs> um, so we went to the great progressive church here in Pasadena called All Saints. And it's, I, oh, love, yeah. I love the people there. I have many friends there. And, yeah. Uh, um, and, and I, but I still had the problems. And the, and the great thing about Episcopals um, is that the, at least at this church, they totally had all the same problems I had with the Bible. In fact, people speaking in the pulpit would say, yeah, there's no way Jesus said this, or Paul didn't write this. This was changed, you know, in, in later years. So we can ignore this part or, or we'll take it for what it's worth. Um, but for me, that was like, oh, well, then why, why even bother with um, reading the Bible if it's, if it's so broken and, and not reliable to us? Mm -hmm. um, I think I told you before, I have a lot of Christian friends still, and I love them dearly, and 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 they me, <laughs> and we see the world pretty much the same way. Um, it's just the, the, the faith part is where I sort of jumped off. Um, I think it takes, I think it takes a ton of, of smarts <laughs> to, to remain in the faith, and maybe I just don't have it. Um, one, of, one of my friends from, from the back in the APU days, um, his name's Craig Boyd. He's, he's a great Catholic scholar and writer, uh, philosopher. And to me, he gets Christianity right. Um, and from what I've read of, I've read of you, you get Christianity right too. Um, <laughs> it, it, takes, it takes a lot of um, learning and understanding, um, contextualizing, um, understanding of history and language. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just... I, I totally admire, and I, you know, I, I attempted to do to do that at the end of my faith, um, trying to to hang on. Um, I just, like I said, I think the experience at APU just sort of pushed me off. I was like, I, I don't want to do that, especially with these people. Um, so yeah, man, where man, we are, man. Well, I mean, in that, I mean, there's there's so much of that. As I read your 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 blog post, you said. Um, I didn't miss God because the deity I'd spent my life worshiping, asking of, thanking, raging against, and talking to me, um, talking to was me. Or it was a construct I'd form, or formed over a life of faith. As my faith grew in, or transformed, so did my God. I grew up praying to a God who condemned gay people to hell. And then, oops, he loves gay people, even if they sin. And then, oops, he loves everyone the same. And, hey, it's not a sin to be gay. My God changed with my growth. 
except he didn't change for other friends in the same way. And so, man, I'm I'm constantly wrestling with, you know, that 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 understanding. Right. Because you, like you said, it's like there's so many versions. There's uh, somebody posted a clip this morning of uh, on Twitter and it was Oprah. It was one of the clips that's in the the new Smithsonian African-American Museum. It was like, you know, when she went out and supported uh, Ellen when she was coming out. And then one of her guests was just like, well, I'm a Christian and I just don't get how you as a Christian can go and support that. And then homosexuality is a sin. And it was just interesting just to kind of hear both their perspective. Of course, Oprah was like, well, that's not the God that I believe. And I have a different understanding of, 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 of the Bible and of that, of that, you know, different, you know, uh, translation and whatnot. And it just, it, it shook this young woman so much that, you know, she started to cry and it was like this whole. Cause that's Oprah. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> if Oprah is like right below God. <laughs> right, exactly, man. And, um, yeah. So either there's, either there's one God that most of us don't understand correctly, but we think we do. Or mm-hmm. there's a lot of gods out there that, uh, um, that subscribe to everything that, uh, that each individual does. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it always amazed me that like whenever I'd have some kind of epiphany about God, when I was a believer, um, like the, 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 the homosexual issue is, is one of the obvious ones. It's just like so much growth and, and movement on and from, in my faith, from my teens, when I was taught that, oh, gay people are coming after you and they want to kill you with AIDS. And I actually had students at APU try to write papers that gay people are evil and, and they want to kill us with AIDS. <laughs> I don't know how, how many times I had to reject that? Yeah, you can't write that paper. Please don't. Um, so that evolves into more of a, a gracious aspect. Where, where I think most Christians these days are at, at that place, right? God loves everyone, even if they sin. Um, I hate that love the sinner, hate love the love the sinner, hate the sin thing because you're really just hating both. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think um, the Christian friends that I have are also they also wrestle with this. You know, they don't have this supreme confidence that so many evangelicals have that what what their values are are in complete alignment with um, with God's values. Right. Right. I think that's what gets me. I mean, I know once upon a time that was the case for me, and I love at the end of this you say, you know, I'm not afraid. I'm loved. Life is a mystery. I'm cool with that. Um, I've talked a lot about, I mean, just as I've, you know, gone through and done different talks and whatever, man, about mystery and doubt. I mean, I think that's probably one of the hardest things. I think just as a human species in general that we have uh, to, to, to engage with. Cause it's like, man, I, you know, it's like, what's the future going to be? And, you know, are we going to be around as, you know, then we, our movies tell us, you know, the apocalypse, the, the apocalypse is coming. Either it's going to be the aliens or the yeah. robots or the weather behind stuff. Cause that was all made up. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I knew that even when I was, was a Christian, I was like, yeah, there's none of this in the Bible. <laughs> extrapolated like what, 40 books out of like two verses. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It almost sounds as, 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 uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the Netflix special when they see us, you know, it's like when those cops are, are talking with the kids and making up the story about uh, how they raped this woman and stuff, man. It sounds like. Uh, I watched a documentary about that about maybe 10 years ago. And, okay. And so I have that queued up and, and now that, now that um, we're sad this week, my dog died. I think I'm ready to watch that because that, that is a heartbreaking story oh my gosh it yeah that is a hard one Whew, man so what so what are you up to now i mean you said you're a stay-at-home dad 
Uh, is is that the the extent of it? I can't I can't imagine that, man. For brother yeah, yeah, Scott, the last few years I've been uh, I I taught myself to cook. I'm pretty good at cooking. That's what's up. Yeah. Um. Up until like six months ago, when my kids got their driver's license, I was pretty much their driver. I list that as my occupation on a lot of things. Um. So yeah, I've been writing. I've been uh, I started the blog about a year and a half ago, which I just put stuff up topically. Um been working on the book so and then i kept getting almost done with the book and then ap would go in the news again and do something stupid <laughs> yeah like damn it now i gotta go in context and then trump happened so yeah so by the 2016 election i was wrapping that thing up and then trump happened right and then i was like oh so you were there was that like the early mid mid 2000s I was, yeah. I started in two thousand four, and and real quick, I definitely don't want to under undervalue your, you know, what you do as a stay at home dad. And when I said the extent of it, I definitely don't want to undervalue because uh, well, that yeah. is a big, big job, especially you know for men and whatnot. You know, trying to engage and figure you know stuff. I have another friend of mine who I'm actually trying to get on the podcast to to talk about 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 that and, and whatnot. But it's it's definitely a well worth job. But yes, you want to make that make that, make that footnote. Yeah, no, cool, cool, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, no, I was there from uh, 2004 to about 2011. Yeah, spring oh, of yeah, 2011. Yeah, you were there a while too. So the way I the way I write about it in the book is, I feel like we had a front row seat to the rise of the alt right. Yes, you know there was there was like these groups of angry conservatives that, you know, they hated any talk of diversity. They hated yeah. any talk of LGBTQ inclusion. They they hated you know talk of feminism, and even though they were kind of in the majority as far as their views. Uh, they were just angry that anybody would, would dare speak up yeah. and, and, and talk about these things. And so when the Tea Party happened and when 2016 happened, you know, it, it was shocking in a lot of ways, but in some ways not surprising since, you know, like, I feel like I knew those people. You know, I, I, was, I worked with those people. I, I taught <laughs> those people. And uh, mm. yeah, yeah, I, I'd seen all that before. Well, I mean, I and I will say this. I mean, I've been in the academy now, you know, uh, about eighteen years and whatnot. But I can honestly say that uh, teaching at Azusa was probably the worst experience that I had as as a professor, as a, as a male of color. Um, the worst students that I had in terms of just fighting, wanting to fight me on everything. I mean, some of the yeah. worst comments that I've had came yeah. from that school. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to compete for the book now. Right. That's right. Exactly, man. I mean, some of the best stories, though, came out of that. Right. I mean, and that was just it. I had so many particularly white males who felt like their image of white men was leaving them and that minorities were taking over and that they were somehow being disenfranchised. And it was oh, bruh. It was oh, man, I'd come home sometimes and be like, man, I'm. I am so done with this, yeah. this crap. Yeah. I would walk out of some classes, like my hands would be shaking and I'd have to go teach another class. Yes. And, um, and to like compose myself. Um, yes. Just from some of the just dumb, evil stuff that came out of their mouths. Um, right. And there, and I had to remember a lot of these are 18 year old. Um, it was rare to have like a senior saying, I mean, not that it didn't happen, but I feel like a lot of those kids came into APU ultra conservative and um sort of mellowed as they got older yeah some no, yeah 
No, well, that was definitely, it felt like there was a streak of students that were like extra uber liberal. They're just finding out about social justice. And oh, yeah. then they would go to LA term, which was like um, a whole beast in and of itself. Yeah. Those kids would come back angry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, and I, I got, I get it. Uh, I, man, those kids could be annoying. It would, yeah. They, would, they, would, they would be like the opposite side of the, the angry conservative, the angry liberals. And right. Uh, <laughs> there's no discussing anything with those, some of those kids. No, I, yes. That's their journey. You know, they, they, you, you swing hard, you know, you come from this conservative background you go, Oh my gosh, that's not, that's not right. We got to right. do this. And then they come back all on fire, man. It's like, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've kept in touch with a lot of those kids um, who are now in their 30s. I know. That's a trip. <laughs> They're having kids of their own. And, oh. and we've we've been able to joke about those those days, those mm -hmm. angry days. Because I used to tell them, you know, as they got ready to graduate, you know, you know, when you graduate, you're not going to have APU to, to slam your hand, your fists up against. You know, you have the whole world out there. And then so there's there's things to stand for instead of just standing against APU. You know, there's always going to be plenty to stand against, um, but you need to figure out who you are and who, who you are for. Because, um, you know, in the microcosm of college, especially at a small place like APU, it's really easy to identify yourself as I'm against this, this yeah. corporate evangelical conservative thing, entity, the man. Um, it gets, it, the world is a much bigger place so you, you got to find your people you got to find um your your own thing that you that you stand for and that that from which you stand against all the things yeah many things yeah yeah so and i mean so speaking of trump what has how has that impacted what you do and how you engage the 2016 election i mean i know it's not at least for me as i define it i'll, I'll put myself in the situation i find that the Trump effect extends well beyond just Washington. Um, you know, I'm still teaching in Christian higher ed, so it feels like there's, you know, a constant battle with, you know, the aspects of conservatism on all levels, whether it be human sexuality, whether it be immigration, all those things. So, I mean, how are you navigating some of these environments now, you know, what, three years in? Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, if I if if it, that much is different for me, because by halfway in or actually early on in my APU days, I discovered a community in LA called the Tuesday Night Cafe, which is a largely Asian American um, arts space. Okay, and I sort of swapped out church community for this community. <laughs> I'm still friends with some of the old church friends, but. By and large, my center of social, political, you know, things of value became those friends. And so by the time I left APU and then, of course, by the time 2016 happened, I was not really centered in, a, um, in anything Christian anymore. Okay. Um, but I, I would say as a person of color, <laughs> um, and you... I'd like. I'd be curious to know what you think. It it was like I said before. It wasn't that surprising um, when Trump happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, on, on on many levels, it was devastatingly surprising, just because we thought you know Hillary had it. Um, but uh, 
we've we've seen. I, I think a lot. It was a, a reckoning for a lot of moderate and progressive white people who mm-hmm. maybe were in denial that there was this movement, um, that there there was this hatred and anger out there um, amongst their people, and um, <clears throat> has sort of forced a lot of people to 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 look inward at their own families, at their own communities. Um, like so, my parents, who are almost white, um, they, they go to a white, <laughs> big white church. Almost <laughs> white. I think I think you went to the church for a little while. I did. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. how I made some connections too. I was like, oh wait, Scott, and then because wasn't your dad on the elder board or something yeah, like that? Yeah, he was. He was okay. the token guy. He used to talk. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, they're, they're having a really hard time because half of their Sunday school class, maybe more than half are, you know, ardent Trump supporters. And mm-hmm. these are people they've known for like decades. And, and I keep telling them, you know, they didn't become this overnight. They've always been this. Um, yeah. You just haven't been paying that close attention to the values of, of your, your closest friends and community. So yeah, I'll use my parents as an example of um, sort of the, the the white vibe of reacting, you know, because I, I think a lot of people are just horrified at, at Trump. A lot of Christians are, and I'm, yeah. I'm heartened by that. Um, I, I don't know if they know what to do <laughs> with that. Um, I don't know what to do. Um, so I guess the second part of the answer would be, you know, I, I've continued to write, to make music and art, to show up at the rallies with my friends. and. Um, um, yeah, just, we, we are still doing the same things we were doing in 2015. Um, when, even with Obama as president, we are still fighting for equality and justice and, and all that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what keeps you motivated, man? What keeps you, I, and again, I'll speak for myself. I know I, I struggle with, um, I think prior to the 2016 election, um, I, you know, there was a sense of like long-term, okay, things are going to work out things, you know, the, the arc of justice bends towards justice or blah, 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 and I, I you know, yeah. So I'm just curious. I mean, you know, this report just came out yesterday. I posted it on Twitter from you from USA today and NASA's talking about, you know, like by 2050, like we're like seriously screwed up. I mean, like we're, you know, it's like, like cats and dogs living together into the world, Zool coming from, you know, the fourth dimension and stuff. So how do you stay like, you know, sane in all this without completely losing hope? What is, what is your motivation? Ah, uh, um, craziness, <laughs> uh, <laughs> delusion. <laughs> yeah. Def- no, definitely fr- friends and family. I mean, okay. Um, having, having people who love you and that you love, um, to me is, is the, the basis for it all. So, um, so yeah, you just, you, there are days obviously when you, you feel like giving up, uh, I'm part of this Twitter thread and, uh, someone had compiled the week's news and, and we were all just like, yeah, some days it feels like we should just give up. We're, we're not winning this. We're, we're, we're losing this. Um, but I don't know. Sometimes uh, you're, I'm inspired by by a song or a piece of art or a poem or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's some there's some fire within us that that just keeps us going. Um, 
And if I knew what that was, and maybe that's what God is, um, the, yeah, you look at the people around you and you, and you, you want the best for them. Like right, right after the election, like I'm in, a, I'm in a band called Doctors and Engineers and they're mostly a South Asian band. We play like this Bollywood That's what's up. Uh, punk um, music. Um, it's kind of fun. Doctorsandengineers.com. All right. Uh, I'll put that in show notes too. That's yeah. what's up. <laughs> Our keyboard player is Pakistani and, he's, and his family's Muslim. Um, uh, and the, our singer, uh, Sri Panchalam, she's a, she's a civil rights attorney. Um, had, we had a meeting and we had, we had an EP release the week of the, re, the, the election. And after the election happened, we didn't want to play anymore. We're like, oh man, none of us feels like rocking out and having a good time. But we thought about it and then and Sri told us, you know, we have we got to do this. We, we have to rage um, and we need to show up and we need to, to publicly uh, express our support for uh, Azim, our keyboard player. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there, with this administration, you know, he's in, in most danger. Yeah. And we all, yeah, hell yeah. We're going to, we're going to show up and we're going to take a stand and we're going to go on that stage and we're going to rock our asses off. And, and we did, we got written up in vice magazine. No uh, way. Online. Yeah. Nice. There's, there's an article. I'll send you the link. It's about uh, the South Asian uh, rebel rockers. Um, and we're the least prominent band, but we had just had some like really nice professional photos taken. So they put us on the front of the article <laughs> and it tells the story of our night of, of the EP. So like, I think art and community definitely would, would keep us going. Sorry. That's a long way of, no, no, that's beautiful. I mean, I know that's where I found a lot of solace as well. I've picked music back up as well. I told myself that when I got tenure, I would come back to my first love, which is music. And, uh, I was able to, you know, build up my studio. I mean, I had all the parts in play, I just needed to just add a, a decent computer to it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back, you know, composing and making music. And that's been a, a really solid spot for me, just as particularly as an Enneagram four, I don't know if you're into all that stuff, man, but as a creative type of person that expresses themselves through art and creation and stuff, man, it's been a, it's been a really a good thing, man. Um, yeah. So you play music too. We should, we should, uh, we should jam. We should. We should. Chicago uh, jam session. I I know, man. I'd, I'd I'd love to, man. That's that that's what's up, man. In fact, I was actually looking at drum sets the other day and stuff, oh, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Shoe dang. Have you noticed? Can we have an old person moment? Come on. All right. So back in the day, <laughs> like I feel like uh, rock music, hip hop. I guess not hip hop, but R and B. Um, had a mandate to to point out the ills of society and to you know push for change yeah whether it was stevie wonder um or you know bob dylan or all these things and it feels like it's sorely lacking today <laughs> yeah is that do, I, do we sound do i sound really old now oh brother yeah you sounded like me now man when i teach my courses on hip-hop <laughs> Okay, so like, do do you go back to like Sly and the Family Stone and James Brown and um, you know, <clears throat> Aretha Franklin? All, yep, they all, yep. They all showed up, you know. They and they all, they made bold statements. Not they didn't they weren't coy about it or, or right. Sly, they they just they just did it because they this was this was their values and their art reflected that. Um, right. I, I feel like that's missing today. I mean, it's starting to happen. I, I, it's, it's some of them are coming around. 
No, there is. I mean, that, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, the Nipsey Hussle death was really a, a shock. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I it, it, not even a shock, but just, I mean, it was like, whoa. I mean, because here's a brother that I felt, man, here's, you know, this is this is exactly what I've been writing about for the last decade. And here he is doing it. And then for this to happen, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, but you're right. There is that the kind of a turn towards that. And not just that, but... And then not just in hip hop, but I also, like you said, I mean, I, I like music in general. So it's just like, I think about, you know, for, for some listeners, you probably don't know. I mean, I, I, I also grew up on country Western and stuff, man. And so listening no. to, to, to stuff, even back in the day <clears throat> compared to now. And I don't want to, again, you're, you're right. I don't want to sound too old. Um, there's a, there's a documentary that's out there. You've probably seen it. It's called uh, music city. Um, no, it's about this this studio that recorded man probably most rock bands and metal bands from the seventies and eighties and uh, was out in Burbank. Oh yeah, I have seen that. Dave yes, Grohl and uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and I just I it you know yeah, about well, even just the making of music has changed. Oh, yeah. ex exactly, exactly. They don't set up drums in a room anymore. And, no, right. Uh, and put the amp in the right place. And, right. All, it's all plugged in exactly mike, creativity, but mike yeah. in the room and all that i mean exactly and that's and that's what got me was just like man the love that's that was the era that i grew up in i mean when i left music the, was it yes yes yeah. if I, i'll double check i'll look on my iTunes just to make sure because i had downloaded on there but oh, no, that was great um but there was a there's a spot on there that they talked about just the you know, the, the change from, you know, from analog to digital and, you know, and I, again, I don't want to be too critical because I do think there's some great art that's being made even within the, the digital element, but it does crack me up because when I left in the nineties, you know, in my evangelical tirade and young life days, oh, that's the worldly music. And I have to come out of Babylon and, yeah. oh Lord. Um, that's a whole nother episode of all the things we're embarrassed about from oh, our youth. Dude, man. Yeah, exactly. I, I struggled, you know, even telling my daughter, like what I used to think when I was 21, like, oh gosh, yeah, this yeah. is, this is my bad. Son's, my son's 18, I mean 19. And I tell him some of the things I used to say and do when I was his age. And he's just like, dad, really? Right. Hey, I was, I was raised <laughs> that way. Have you read that book Rapture Ready? I it's in my it's in my wish list. I have oh not. <clears throat> I I love that book so much, but I was cringing like that was me. You know, he's he's very gently sort of describing this as this hilarious stuff. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, I think yeah. I um uh, and the movie the title of the movie is Sound City and. It's available just about anywhere. But um, yeah, I I know I look back on that time and yeah, it's difficult for me to, I mean, if I've had a few uh, former quote unquote youth, like you said, they're now in their freaking mid thirties and, you know, pushing 40 yeah. on, in some regards. Which is weird because we're not any older. Yeah. I don't know how time works like that. I, I, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man. So yeah, I've had to actually apologize to a lot of uh folks that were under my quote unquote care back then, you know, twenty some odd years ago and stuff, man. Oh yeah. I've I've apologized to a lot of my childhood friends. <clears throat> yes. I'm sorry I kept bugging you to come to my dumb church. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked you to the Amy Grant concert, even <laughs> though I knew you didn't like Amy Grant. 
Oh, man. I saw Amy Grant last year at the Wild Goose Festival, and I was kind of shook because I was like, wait, what? what's this? Like, is she liberal now? Is she like, like what? At, what's going on here? Yeah, I know she she's considered secular now, right? I think so. Well, the evangelicals kind of got rid of her. Yes. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you can be liberal from, from that corner of, but yeah, of course you can. Yeah. So I don't, who knows? Who knows? So what's your take, man? I remember we were having a conversation on, you know, whole Rachel Held Evans thing, man. What, what, ca- what's, uh, yeah. what's caused the rip in some, I mean, it feels like her death, which by the way, I'm still in just shock. I mean, I'm like, whoa. Um, yeah. What, what, what do you think? Cause she, it feels like she was a glue for a lot of different things. It turns out, so um, I followed her loosely. By the time she hit the scene, um, I forget what her first book was. I remember it was very controversial, but I had already pretty much decided I wasn't Christian anymore. <laughs> I guess it was about 10, 12 years ago. Um, but I always admired, you know, she was saying all the, the things that um, evangelicals were afraid to say. So yeah, so it turns out she, when her, when she died, the there's an ex-evangelical movement and, and of course the progressive evangelicals. Um, yeah. It, they really lost an anchor to, to the movement. Mm-hmm. And so there's been all this splintering and, and, and factions formed and even in the ex I'm part of the ex-evangelical movement. Okay. Um, which I found maybe a year ago. I, I thought I invented this term. I was right. I was trying to think of a title for my book. And I thought, oh, maybe it was a friend of mine suggested it. So that's a great idea. And I looked it up and it had been around for already like three years. Um, and so I, I sort of joined their Facebook group and their Twitter now. And, um, and it's, it's a hard thing because it's a weird thing to identify as something that you're not anymore. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, it's like an anti-identity. So I think we're all trying to figure out what um, the movement is, what we stand for. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, a human condition problem. I think that's that's natural. So there's all this infighting now, and um, so yeah, I mean, I I really do think her Rachel Held Evans' death was sort of the flashpoint for this whole. And I think it, it could eventually be a good thing once the dust settles and everyone sort of acknowledges our brokenness and in, in our in our points of view. Um, I hope it can coalesce back into something positive that we can going to be a counter to the angry conservative evangelicals yeah well i mean it seems to me and correct me if i'm wrong man i mean it seems to me like the right organizes very stealthily but also very strategically um but also knows how to politic very well it seems like most of their fighting is done behind closed doors and what they present uh, at least in the media, it's it's very well galvanized around certain things, right? You know, abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, and of course now immigration and whatnot. And you know, of course, there's also a bunch of splinter uh, thoughts as well. But I I, sure. I I struggle to be to be quote unquote on the left or even being labeled as a you know a progressive Christian or the the liberal Christian or whatever. And it's like uh, I don't right. know. The label keep changing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. About the right, I don't. Yeah. They just don't call each other out. <laughs> I mean, so go, this is our team. They draw this line in the sand. They go, we're on this right side. And, and they don't even agree about 
much. You know, what, you know, the libertarians don't really care about abortion. Um, they're not religious. And the relig religious people, well, they're not supposed to care about the wealthy, but they, they tend to. But they don't, they don't, they rarely call each other out. I think the, the left is too good at calling each other out. Yes. And policing our, our language and our perceived attitudes and perspectives. Um, we're really trying to find truth and, um, and doing so is hard and <laughs> doing so is it, it's a meticulous process and, and you can't just have this big monolithic group think that the right tends to have. Yeah. Cause like I said, if you actually got them all into a room and brought up topic by topic, they wouldn't agree on very much. Right. But, but when it comes time to vote and to, to like you said, to organize they're all, they all show up and they all, they all, push the button and they all, they move on together. Um, um, it doesn't sound like fun to me to, to know you're in the same group with so many people that you may not, you, you may disagree with a lot. Uh, um, so yeah, I think the, the left we're, we're, we're too good at, at trying to find clarity of every single point. You know, we're yeah. talking about these, these candidates now in, in 2020 and everyone's kind of, looking for the candidate that close that more closely resembles them mm -hmm. <laughs> all of our beliefs um and you know i don't know i don't know if politics works that way right unfortunately i i mean i i unless i can see some kind of galvanization on the left i really do believe that trump will will you know get reelected in 2020 you think i, I think so oh I think if if Trump Trump is start, I mean that Mueller report really solidified a lot. I mean, and yeah, again as a as a communications guy, I look at it from rhetoric and and just a lot of it from Neil Postman's, um, you know, um, amusing ourselves to death. You know, right. his, his work around media and belief and the believability and how we have been suckered. And when I say we, I mean society. I mean I think critical thinkers know better, but we don't make up much of society. I mean, people right. still like 20 second sound bites. Well, I don't like what she said. Yeah. Right. But what, how has she voted? <laughs> right. right. I, you know, we're all going to say dumb things, but what if they voted on, what did they stand for? And so sure. I don't know. I mean, I will, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope, you know, that, you know, somebody gets elected and that's great. And, you know, we enter into a new earth and we get new land and, you know, and, Black people get reparations, you know, shoot, you know, it's, it's, I oh, take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as someone who benefited from reparations, I, I, I definitely am on board with, with that. Man, that's a trip. So yeah, but talk a little bit, and I, I know time is nigh, but talk a little bit just about your own ethnic background and, and, and going into that, man. I mean, like, how does that play into oh, yeah. what's going on today and all that stuff, man? Sure. I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a very unique American. I'm a fourth generation American, um, Japanese American. Uh, my great grandparents came over around the turn of the century, turn of the twentieth century. Mm -hmm. um, farmed and did all my um, produce and things like that. Uh, and then the camps happened, and they all lost everything uh, during yes. World War II. Yes, and that did a, a number on the whole Japanese American community. Um, you have you have these um, people who were not ashamed to be Japanese, but definitely it was a source of shame. Because the, the whole reason they were targeted was they're Japanese. You know, they didn't they didn't go after Germans, they didn't go after Italians. They just went after the Japanese, right? And and uh, put them in, ran, took them out of their homes. You had one suitcase each to take to the desert or where, some place they got sent. Um, and so that made 
ethnic or racial pride really hard. Um, my parents' generation or the second generation, my parents were born in the camps, um, came out of there with kind of a mixed feeling about being Japanese. Um, so th they were very conservative. My, I, I used to be so angry at my parents. They grew up in the 60s. Like a really cool time to be alive, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they they weren't Beatles fans. They weren't into Led Zeppelin. They, my dad liked Motown. That was his thing. Um, <laughs> Come so on. So he's got he's got a box of of records of, that are really cool. But by and large, they missed all like the counterculture, cool you know. Move. They, they weren't even really part of civil rights because they were taught to keep your, their heads down. Otherwise, you're going to get locked up. Hmm. And so where I grew up ashamed that they didn't march and they didn't go to Woodstock or, or they didn't do all those cool things. I get it now. You know, they, they, they were afraid and they were taught to be afraid of the government um, because they had literally been locked up behind barbed wire for just being who they were. Uh, they didn't even do anything wrong. So it's been a journey for me to come to grips with, you know, being proud to be from Japan. I went to Japan for the first time a couple of years ago and took my kids Hmm. And I kind of walked around Japan on wonder and with a lump in my throat. Like this is this whole history of people that I'm directly connected to that I'm just now feeling like proud to, to be a part of. Um, it is hard though. They, the Japanese don't see me as Japanese. Um, so <laughs> I don't speak, speaking Japanese is really important to them. And yeah, I don't. So they just all assumed I was a Taiwanese tourist. Oh, um, wow. But, uh, but yeah, so, so yeah, that's me. It's another big, that's a whole nother episode of racial identity. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I, being, I, I feel you, man, because being both Mexican and African-American, it's, it's been a, a very tight line, you know, to walk, um, because, you know, I pass as black, um, right. racially, but it's like, you know, in the Mexican community, it's like, right, you're never Mexican enough going back to Mexico. It's yeah. like, even though I grew up speaking Spanish, it's still, it's still American. It's still got that bocho in it. And so, um, were you, you were from the Bay area, right? I, yeah, I grew up. Yep. Yep. Is there a Bay area accent in Spanish? Cause I, I know there's an LA accent. Um, uh, that's a good question. I, I found them to be similar, but yeah, it did. But yeah, there's definitely an LA one. <laughs> in fact, yeah. I was seeing somebody on TV the other day. I was like, that person is from LA. I yeah. <laughs> and totally. sure enough, they were, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I think yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's somebody screaming, listening to this right now. I mean, yeah, there no, is, no. there is. Right, right in your comments. Right. <laughs> exactly, man. Um, well, this is this has been uh, very enlightening, brother. Um Oh yeah, no. I it's this is great. I love talking to you, man. Yeah, no, I mean I, I love it. And I love talking with folks who have had a, a great journey. I mean, it may not necessarily be great all the time, but it's like you've you've had a, a full journey. Yeah, overall. Um, yes, indeed. I, and I think it's I don't know, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Fowler's stages of faith development and whatnot. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some psychologists kind of shun that away and you know, folks have kind of moved away from stage uh a theory, but I still think it's something important about the different, you know, seasons that we're in. Cause I do feel like a lot of folks are still stuck in kind of that primary adolescent type of faith development. I've found a lot of frustration just with churches because I don't feel like there's, there's, we're still, we're not even to meat and potatoes. We're still just trying to get off, wean off of, you know, theological similac. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? 
all of us parents know exactly what you're referring to. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. have you ever met someone that you knew as a kid or maybe even in high school or college and now they're well into their adult life and they're still saying the same platitudes and giving the same pat answers that they did back then? And you think, man, hasn't the last 20, 30 years done anything to help you <laughs> right. pass that or, or say something more com- complex than that? Yes. Yes. You're also still listening to Amy Grant tapes. And- That's right. That's right, man. Um, and uh, Carmen. Maybe there's some Carmen in there somewhere, right. too, man. <laughs> um, oh, man. So real quick, man, just on, on ideas and stuff, man, what did you think of uh, uh, the Endgame? Endgame. You're talking about Game of Thrones? Uh, well, oh, well, we can get into that, too, man. Uh, uh, I was thinking Marvel Universe. Oh, so I don't really watch superhero movies. That's uh, what's up. Okay, come on. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like this, the I, I've gone so far against religion that it extends into superheroes. <laughs> I feel you, man. Uh, come with it. Come with it. I know some of my like, listeners right now are like, oh, I feel like, what, you know, the whole amused to death kind of thing. Like now, you need to have someone with supernatural powers to save the world. <laughs> in our movies and our tv and i'm like i'm okay so like a movie like uh, hidden figures which is i didn't think it was a great movie but i love that story i would i will watch that every single time because it's like a real life heroism that's true no that's true i I feel you i've been trying to ground myself more in like the the miraculous heroics of regular people um, and it's it's a dumb nerdy old person thing. I think it's just a phase I'm going through. So um, usually, if those movies come on, I'll, I'll watch them on cable or something. But like, uh, <laughs> tend to not go out. And so yeah, I haven't seen any of the Avengers movies. It, maybe I shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> I just lost all credibility. With <laughs> oh man! Everything. Like oh, screw that guy. Oh man, that's, that's hilarious. Well, I mean, it's very interesting though what you say though about um, just the supernatural effect and how those. You know that that plays out, you know, on the on the on the screen um, and whatnot. I mean, it's definitely no, it's mostly just me being kind of dumb, but um, no nah, man, just <laughs> roll with that. Um, so, so what I, about? I, I wanted to talk about your the name of your podcast. This is Profane Faith. Yes, so I have to admit, I, I went and looked at the list on iTunes, and I only clicked on the ones that said explicit. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Come and, on. And you, had, you had some like expl- explanation where you said. Uh, uh, if you're offended by these words, you know, look at these linguistic things. Or, um, <laughs> Jesus cursed. But I, I was like yelling at the screen. I was like, oh, come on, Dan. You know that's only for white people. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's mainly who um, who will, you know, usually if, if you ask us to say anything, it's mainly who it is. Although there are the religious, you know, black and Latinx that are just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's not godly talk. Asians don't cuss. So. <laughs> so wait, is this going to be labeled explicit? Did I did I was I explicit enough? Um, yeah, I mean, I usually it, I usually put the explicit on when there is multiple uh, f words. You know, I, I give it the PG the word fuck and the etymology of it. That's and, uh, right. That's right. No, right, I so mean, I, I said it once, so I hope I hope it says explicit. There we go. I'll put explicit on it just just because, man. I mean, just that well, that'll, I'm, that'll get I'm clicks. Offensive to people, so yeah. <laughs> Hey, brother, so am I. Hence, hence the title, Profane Faith. Yeah, man. yeah right. Like, well, don't you feel like, like, we say a lot of things other, like, white people say, but people will take more offense when POC men. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. Well, and especially being, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm six foot bald and yeah. you know, my, my, my resting face isn't, you know, I don't have, you know, the, the moon eyes when I smile and I don't have <laughs> the, the nice, you know, curls and everything, the parentheses and everything. It's just like, Dimples. right, exactly. I ain't got none of that. So people look at me like, oh my gosh, he's constantly mad. Yeah. Yeah. I get that all the time. <laughs> so I, I, I got in big trouble at APU cause I taught a, a, a le- grammar lesson. Oh Lord. Using um, swear words. There you go. And then we talked about the etymology of the words. I mean, right. academic. So I got called in, and you, you can never do that. You don't ever, you know, the, the, the dean is livid. There's apparently a, a white, old white theology prof who every year his, his canned talk, he, he, he finishes with something like, and so you can see, God is dealing with some heavy shit. <laughs> and every semester he says it, and he never gets complained about the students are like, wow, that is, that is so true. <laughs> Yep. Yep. I when I was there I used to show the documentary on the word fuck and uh, you know we got yeah. to language and culture and oh man um I got called in almost almost every semester man like well showed it. Why do you I kept, I kept showing it. I was like this is language <laughs> man. We got there's there's some actual people talking about some good stuff on here but right. you know but yeah people were like oh, I can't believe that and I'm just so offended. I'm like oh god damn christians we so damn offended so easily and so fucking tender on everything man so if your biggest mistake you weren't white yeah yes yes well somebody actually told me sat me down when i was at apu and they was like well, I don't, we just don't think you're apu material yeah <laughs> yeah the dean told me i was a danger and a harm to the school that's right yeah. that's right oh Man, I tell you, brother, I'm 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 glad to be where I'm at, and I'm glad where you're at, man. Where I'm uh, where... happy that you end up where you are. I, I forgot to say, and congratulations on your latest promotion. Thank I, you. All that. That's thank you. That made me so happy. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm. I feel very fortunate. I'm. <laughs> I'm one of one of two uh, African Americans on on faculty that are tenured and full. So you know, you broke the rule the rule of one. That's right, the rule of one is broken, smashed. Oh man! But uh, where can folks find you, brother? Where can folks get to you know come and get you, bring you out? You know, well, get you I'm on all the... over Facebook and Twitter. Okay, R Scott Okamoto. Uh, my blog is rscottokamoto.com. Um, Doctors and Engineers is, my, is the band I'm mostly playing. I play bass for. Um, we're writing some new music. And uh, yeah, o- otherwise I'm driving the streets of Pasadena, dropping my kids off. And, That's what's up. Um, cooking up a storm in my kitchen. So I hear that. I hear that. Okay, shoot. I, I definitely, man. Well, I'll, as again, as listeners, I'll put all these in the show notes, whiteoutpodcast.com. As always, that's where the show notes live and you can get to know Scott a little bit more. Scott, thank you so much for coming on today, brother. It's so great to reconnect. Absolutely. 